0: I want to lift out just one verse in this particular passage, and that is in Luke nineteen thirty-two. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them. I want you to listen to these words again. Those who were sent went their way and found that just as he had said to them. I don't think I have found in the whole Bible a more succinct description of what it means to live out of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those who were sent went. Whenever we receive him as Lord and Savior and start obeying him, start doing what he tells us to do, we find things just as he said they would be. Uh, Over and over again, we see this in the Bible. Now, the question came to me as I was looking at this and thinking about it, what if those guys hadn't gone? What if they had decided... I'm not going to do that. I just don't think that's right. Uh, how do I know that that donkey's going to be there? Uh, I think he just lost his mind. And if they didn't go, what would have happened? Well, the donkey would have still been there, wouldn't it? And Jesus would have sent others, and things would have happened just as they were supposed to. It's just that two others would have been blessed with discovering that whenever you do what Jesus tells you to do, things wind up happening the way he says they're going to happen. And so that is basically living the Christian life. That's what we experience over and over again as we follow his will in our lives. We find that things come about just the way that he said that they would. Things are going to always turn out the way that Jesus says that they will. He began preparing his disciples for this fact just right at the very beginning of his ministry. Whenever he uh, went out in the boat with uh, Peter after Peter had been fishing all night and hadn't caught anything. And then after Jesus borrows his boat to preach from, he tells him, let's go out and catch some fish. And uh, he says, master, we fished all night. We didn't catch anything. But if that's what you want me to do, I'll do it. And so he went. Jesus told him what to do. And he went, and whenever Jesus said, cast your nets out on that side of the boat, and he did, he pulled in a catch of fish. Things were just as Jesus said they were going to be. Later on, it's interesting, it's also with a fish. They were going to have to pay the preaching tax, and Jesus told Peter, to go and catch a fish, and that in that fish's mouth, he would find a shekel to pay the uh, preacher's tax, preaching tax with. And lo and behold, uh, Peter did what he was told to do. He followed Jesus' instructions, and whenever he caught that fish, and he opened that fish's mouth... There was that coin, just as Jesus said. And this is what we find. As we do what he says to do, things work out the way that he says they're going to work out. Whether we choose to believe it or not, whether we act on it or not, things are going to turn out the way that Jesus says they're going to turn out. We are living and experiencing that happening right now as we see him. The, what he said toward the end of Matthew about wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and pestilences. And he said that all those things would be happening. And he said they'd be like the birth pangs. And, you know, birth pangs get closer and closer together. And that's what we're experiencing right now. The very thing that Jesus said was going to happen is happening. And so uh, it just plays out over and over again. And you know, there's one passage that would work out if we would do it. The Lord said in 2 Chronicles, If my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and forsake their wicked ways and pray. I will hear from heaven and will heal their land. Instead of doing that in our country, we're pushing God further and further away. And until we, well, let me just put it this way. If we would do as a nation, what he says we would experience exactly what he said we would experience. But if we don't, we won't. But that's just it. Whether we choose to believe it or not, the end is going to come. Judgment is going to come. All those things are going to come. And this is the good news of this whole passage. If we do the things he says, we'll find things just the way he said they were going to be. Matthew uh, 7.24, we hear Jesus saying at the close of his Sermon on the Mount, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine or these words of mine and does them, you you just need to underscore that in your Bible, and does them, I will liken him to a wise person who built their house on the rock. We're wise because what he says to do, if we do it, we know things are going to come out the way that Jesus says they're going to come out. This is in life. This applies. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father, but by me. And then there's another passage where Jesus says, the thief does not come except to steal and kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I ran across the testimony of a a lady the other day. Her name is Rosalind Picard. And uh, she started out even as a child, as a very precocious intellectual being. And she had a hard time with religion. And in grade school, she declared that she was an atheist. And uh, she would uh, uh, take the side of uh, creationists in debates and then wonder why whatever she argued from from science at one point on creation, against creationism and for evolution, she couldn't understand why she lost because science was behind her. But uh, she went on, but she, 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 she knew there was something missing in her life. And uh, she had, she was experiencing what a lot of people call that God-shaped vacuum. She knew that there was something religion she decided she checked out all the religions she took college courses and studied all the religions and whenever it came to the bible two passages really bothered her one was matthew 10:38 i'm sorry 10:33 it says but whoever disowns me before others i will disown before my father in heaven and then Matthew 12:30, whoever is not with me is against me and whoever does not gather with me scatters. And she said, I resented what felt like an unwelcome ultimatum. I didn't want to believe in God, but I still felt a peculiar sense of love and presence I couldn't ignore. Now, what had happened is she had been babysitting for a doctor and his wife, who were Christians, and they started inviting her to church. And so she kept claiming that she was ill on Sunday to not go to church. She said, You try to uh, tell a doctor that you're ill and, and convince them, you know, over and over again. And finally, he and his wife got the picture and said, Well, you know, it's not really attending church that matters nearly as much as it is as being a uh, follower of Christ, and you're going to learn about that from the Bible. Have you read the Bible? And she realized that she had not, and she thought that if she was going to be able to intellectually refute Christendom and Christianity, she needed to read the book and so, and the doctor told her to start with Proverbs. And so she went to Proverbs expecting to run across uh, a bunch of silliness. And what she found in Proverbs was wisdom that made her think. And so she continued to read. And she noticed that as she read, she would feel a different like a presence with her while she was reading. It's not wasn't an audible voice or anything, but like she could just sense someone speaking to her as she read. And she liked that presence. And so she kept reading. And then after she uh, came to that place where she couldn't uh, get through those two passages... She reconnected with a friend that was a very intelligent young man, and he invited her to church, and she didn't didn't come up with uh, an excuse. She went, and when she was sitting in church, the preacher was saying some stuff that caused her to really have some different questions that she had before, and she said she started, she started, she raised her hand because she wanted to ask questions. And then she looked around and everybody else was sitting quietly. So she realized and her friend told her, no, you just sit there and be still. And she was asking him in the service. Well, how do I get answers if I don't ask questions, you know? And so she discovered Sunday school and the teachers would let her ask questions in Sunday school. And she began to uh, get answers. Uh And so then she said that one Sunday, the pastor talked about the difference between believing there is a God and following God. And she said, I knew Jesus claimed to be the way to God, but I'd been trying to avoid anything Jesus related. I couldn't help hearing his name without the word freak attached But the pastor got my attention when he asked, who is Lord of your life? He discussed what happens when you, a human being, put yourself on that throne. And she said, I was intrigued. I was the captain of my ship. But was it possible that God would actually be willing to lead me? From there, I came to a deeper understanding of what it meant to have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus. It seemed silly to pray about this. After all, I still had doubts about God's existence. And this is where her testimony really gripped me. Because I was in the same boat, and she came to the same conclusion. I'm just going to try it and see if it works. And this is just it. His word does not come back void. And so she said, I still had doubts about God's existence. But in the spirit of Pascal's wager, I decided to run an experiment, believing I had much to gain but very little to lose. That's exactly the point that I came to. So I'm just going to try this stuff, and if it works, great. If not, I'll know this is a dog eat dog world, and I know what to do to be top dog. After praying, Jesus Christ, I ask you to be Lord of my life. She says this My world changed dramatically as if a flat black and white existence suddenly turned full color and three-dimensional. But I lost nothing of my urge to seek new knowledge. In fact, I felt emboldened to ask even tougher questions about how the world works. I felt joy and freedom, but also a heightened sense of responsibility and challenge. Have you ever tried to assemble something mechanical and it only kind of works? Maybe the wheels spin, but not smoothly. Then you realize you are missing a piece. When you finally put it together correctly, it works beautifully. This is how it felt when I handed my life over to God. I thought it had worked fine before. But after it was, quote, fixed, unquote, it worked exponentially better. Remember, Jesus said, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Whenever you ask him into your life, the way that she describes it, that's such a good way to describe it, isn't it? All of a sudden, it's the same world, but it just looks different. It's three-dimensional instead of flat. It's in color instead of black and white. There's that big a difference. I was talking to someone yesterday who has just recently started really trying to live for the Lord. And this person is running across the same people that she's always been hanging around. And all of a sudden she realizes they're not nice people. And all of a sudden she didn't see this before. She's seeing, I need to look out for this person and I need to be careful. I don't want to be judgmental, but there's something wrong here. And all of a sudden she still in the same world. She's still in the same circle of friends, but she's seeing things and she's seeing people and situations differently because her eyes have been opened spiritually. She said, uh, this, this lady goes on and says uh, about uh, after it, her, her life was fixed, quote unquote, it was exponentially better. That's not to say nothing bad ever happened to me, far from it. But in all things, good and bad, I could count on God's guidance, comfort, and protection. That's the bottom line. You can count on his guidance, his comfort, and his protection. He's promised us those things. He keeps his promises. She says, today I am a professor at the top university, Massachusetts Institute of Technology, in my field. I have incredible colleagues who have helped translate my lab research into difference-making products, including a smartwatch that helps caregivers save the lives of people with epilepsy. I work closely with people whose lives are filled with medical struggles, people whose children are not healthy. I do not have adequate answers to explain all their suffering, but I know there is a God of unfathomable greatness and love who freely enters into relationship with all who confess their sins and call upon his name. I once thought I was too smart to believe in God. Now I know I was an arrogant fool who snubbed the greatest mind in the cosmos, the author of all science, mathematics, art, and everything else there is to know. Today I walk humbly, having received the most undeserved grace. I walk with joy alongside the most amazing companion anyone could ask for, filled with desire to keep learning and exploring. He didn't turn her into a different person. He helped her to be the real her. Well, that's what happens. He, she discovered his words were true. He is the way, the truth, the life. She discovered that no one comes to the Father but by him. And she discovered that there was a much more abundant life than she could ever imagine in her little intellectual cocoon she found things just as he said they would be in different areas of our life we need to make sure that we're letting him have his way and we're doing the way things the way he says to do them in life control is so important to some people They feel like they have to be in control of their lives. They have to be on top of everything. And yet Jesus uh, tells us, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And I love this. This is a promise. And you will find rest for your souls but we've got to let go and let God. We can't stay. And this woman that, who's uh, uh, the professor at MIT, she discovered that she couldn't or to be the captain of her ship. She had to control turn control over to someone else. It's hard to do. Bruce Larson tells how he helped struggling people surrender their lives to Christ back when he was still in business. He said, for many years, I worked in New York City and I counseled at my office any number of people who were answering with this yes and no decision, talking about whether to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior or not. Often, I would suggest they walk with me from my office uh, down to the RCA building on Fifth Avenue. In the entrance of that building is a gigantic statue of Atlas, a beautifully proportioned man who, with all his muscles straining, is holding the world upon his shoulders. There he is, the most powerfully built man in the world, and he can barely stand up under the burden. Some of y'all are living like that even today. Now, that's one way to live I would point out to my companion trying to carry the world on your shoulders, but now come across the street with me. On the other side of Fifth Avenue is St. Patrick's Cathedral and there behind the high altar is a little shrine of the boy Jesus, perhaps eight or nine years old and with no effort he is holding the world In one hand. My point was illustrated graphically. We have a choice. We can carry the world on our shoulders or we can say, I give up, Lord. Here's my life. I give you my world, the whole world. Another area where we have so much trouble is forgiveness. And yet Jesus said, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father, will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. I uh, read last night about a French uh, revolutionary general who was about to die. And his uh, priest said, My son, have you forgiven all your enemies? And he looked shocked. He said, I've killed all my enemies now, the thing is, he had no enemies left, but it still didn't say he he didn't say he forgave them. Now, I must say, there have been some people in life in my past that have been my enemies. they've been out to hurt me. they have hurt people that I have loved deeply, and I could let that eat me alive or I could choose to turn them over to the Lord and to forgive. I didn't have to shoot them to get them out of my life. If I hadn't become a Christian, there are times when I know that I would have, that that's all that kept me from doing that because they did such bad things. And in the world, it would have been the right thing to do, to just shoot them. But because I'm a Christian, I knew I had to forgive. And I must say, Not carrying that load, not carrying that bitterness, having that burden be gone is so much better. It is just as the Lord says it will be. But we are not going to know the true forgiveness that God has to offer until we are willing to forgive those who have trespassed against us. Generosity. Some people just want to hang on to stuff. They want to hang on to stuff. And yet Jesus says, give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will uh, be put into your bosom. For with the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. J.L. Kraft, head of the Kraft Cheese Corporation, who had given... Approximately 25% of his enormous income to Christian causes for many years said, the only investment I ever made which has paid consistently increasing dividends is the money I have given to the Lord. John D. Rockefeller said, I never would have been able to tie the first million dollars I ever made if I had not tithed my first salary, which was a dollar fifty per week. I know lots of people are still thinking, Well, whenever my ship comes in, I'll start tithing. And yet this is one of those things where the Lord says, Prove me, if you bring the tithe into the storehouse, won't I open up the windows of heaven to you? Whenever you're generous, you discover it's just as he said, you can't outgive God. There were once two men working their way through Stanford University. Their funds got so desperately low that they were just looking for any way to bring money in. And one of them came with the idea of engaging Paderewski for a piano recital and uh, to v- devote the profits to their board and their tuition. The great pianist manager asked for a guarantee of $2,000. And these two young men, undaunted, proceeded to stage the concert. They worked hard, only to find the concert only raised about $1,600. After the concert, these two men sought out the great Paderewski and told him of their efforts and their results. They gave him the entire $1,600 and accompanied it with a promissory note for $400, explaining that they would earn the amount uh, as soon as they could and get the rest of the money to him at the earliest possible moment. And instead, Paderewski looked at the note, he looked at the money, and he looked at them And he said, no. And then he tore that note to shreds. He returned the money to them. And he said, now take out of this $1,600 all of your expenses and keep uh, for each of you 10% of the balance for your work. And let me have the rest. Now, the years rolled by, years of fortune and destiny, Paderewski became the premier of Poland. I just learned this yesterday. I only knew of him as being a, a very benevolent, great pianist, but he became the premier of Poland. The devastating war came, and Paderewski was striving with might and main to feed the starving thousands in his beloved Poland. There was a uh, only one, one man in the world who could help Paderewski and his people. Thousands of tons of food began to come into Poland for distribution after they, he approached this person. After the starving were fed, Paderewski journeyed to Paris to thank Herbert Hoover for the relief that had been sent. That's all right, Mr. Paderewski, uh, was Hoover's reply. Besides, you don't remember it, but you helped me once when I was a student at college and in a hole. Gift, and it'll be given to you. Good measure, pressed down and running over. It will be given to your bosom. In all these things, Jesus proves himself to us over and over again. And because of that, we know that what he says about death is true. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Those he sent went. And they discovered things were just as he said they would be. If you have been entrusting your yesterdays to Jesus, you have experienced things being the way he said they're going to be. And because of that, you know you can entrust your tomorrows and your eternity into his hands as well. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.